So thank you everyone for coming. We'll continue tonight reading from Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sindarbha. We are studying at this stage the intrinsic qualities, the in, inherent qualities of the Jivatma, which we are, infinitesimal jivas, parts and parcels of the Supreme. But just as if you take one drop of ocean water out of the ocean, it still has some of the qualities of the ocean. There'll still be the saltiness, and it's still liquid, even though we're a part and parcel of the Lord. And even though we're infinitesimal, quantitatively, qualitatively, we have some spiritual qualities. Some of those qualities are inherent. They are part of our true nature, part of our being. So this section of Paramatma Sandarbha is dealing with a discussion on these qualities. The discussion is based by Srila Jiva Goswami in his Paramatma Sandarbha on the statements of another Muni or great sage called Jamatri. And Jamatri Muni, he lists 21 um, intrinsic qualities. This evening we'll be reviewing three, four, five of those qualities that are given in one, one Anucheda or section. So the qualities we'll be reviewing tonight are that we are of one form, that we're situated in our own essential nature, that we're conscious, that we pervade the body, and that we're intrinsically of the nature of consciousness and bliss. So these qualities, these from 8 through 12 in the listing of 21 qualities, are going to be dealt with in this 28th Anucheda. The jiva is uniform, self-situated, conscious, pervasive, and of the nature of consciousness and bliss. Jiva writes as follows in this Anucheda. Because the jiva, our self, illuminates precisely in this manner. If you remember, we were discussing the illuminating qualities of the jiva. The question is, of course, the analogy is there of the sun's illuminating, but our illuminating is done through our consciousness. So in the comparison, when we speak of illuminating, it is not that the jiva could not give off light if it wanted to, because the sun certainly does, and we have some instances of that. But um, in this particular reference, we need to see the illuminating qualities of the con our consciousness, and what are the what is that quality that we went over in the last Anucheda, that the that we're self-luminous. We do not require another source. We're not like our illumination can illuminate other objects, and it is of the nature of our be very being. Uh, there was a little bit of a discussion there by Jiva Goswami of the fact that one would say, well, we're all dependent on the power of the Supreme Lord. What 
power do we truly have independently? And that's a valid question. We truly don't. But there is an extreme closeness because we are his parts and parcels. We have the same potentials, the same energies that he have, has, but in a very minute quantity due to our our size. We're of a very, we're an infinitesimal particle of his being. So in that regard, as far as our closeness with the supreme energetic source of everything, uh, we have some energy. We're part of that energy. So we, it, the scripture speaks of the nature of our very being as being um, illuminating. We're able to give off consciousness and we're self-luminous. That the source of that illumination is our very being itself. And our being is that uh, fragmental uh, part of Paramatma that we are. So what's this mean, illuminating? Why, how is the jiva illuminating? Well, we illuminate our body. Truly, we're a very small fragmental particle of, of spiritual energy, but we're able to bring life to a whole body. We're able to light up a body. Now we're lighting up a medium-sized body now, but some jivas light up very large bodies, like an elephant's body. And some jivas light up the body of a, of a uh, mosquito. But it's still the same spiritual particle. So the jiva itself has a capacity. And... In our discussion up to this point, and specifically what we went over just recently, was the illumination as seen in the context of our being. Being that we are engaged by the Lord's material energy, and our illumination is extended and in cooperation with the environment that we're in. And that environment is manifest in three specific aspects, Adiatmic, Adibaltic, and Adidaivic. So we are ourselves illuminating Adiatma. We are the Atma of our own being, Adiatmic, uh, Adibaltic. We are able to extend our consciousness into a body and when we leave the body, the body again becomes completely inert. We bring life to a body. We are that, that our consciousness lights up a body. It makes it move, it makes it think, it makes, you know, it takes full advantage of it. And when the body is no longer inhabitable, then we leave. And no one wants anything to do it, with it at that point. Everybody that loved you, well, they don't want you to stick around too long. You know, they'll keep you around for a couple of days to pay respects. But after that, uh, you know, it's time to get rid of that thing. 
because it's it's there's nothing there except what rotting flesh it's just let's be honest it's not a very nice place nice thing to have around after we leave really what is it then if you look at it in that context what is it overall what is our material body if we look at it in that context of taking ourselves out of it there's a funny funny story in that regard I may not tell it right but I think you'll get the point uh, this yes there was a a young man who was attracted to a young lady and uh, was she saintly was that why she, she was did a princess she was a princess and there was an old man Oh, it was an old man that wanted to enjoy a young, younger lady. Maybe he, she wasn't so much interested. It was like a little arranged marriages. Oh, okay. Kingdom, kingdom kind of thing. Okay, so in this particular arrangement, she was like, yeah, hmm, not so interested. Why don't you come back? Let me prepare myself for, for our getting together. Come back in a couple, three days and... Uh, and certainly, since this is arranged, I will certainly become your wife at that time in the intimate kind of way that you want. So, uh, what'd she do? She she immediately started taking, uh, what do you call that? Purgatives and laxatives. And um, within three days, she became completely emaci- emaciated. She she lost everything. Her, her nice, firm breast started to, you know, fell down and the luster of her face just, you know, was gone. Her hair became straggly. She, you know, she was practically skin and bones after three days of taking these, uh, these uh, drugs. So the older gentleman, he came back and he went, he approached the, the home and, and knocked on the door or whatever you do at a cottage. <laughs> and, uh, I'm here to enjoy my nice young wife. And this girl came to the front door, you know, you can imagine, you know. And uh, she said, oh, I'm here for you. Not you, who are you? The young girl I just was married to, where's she? It's me. What the hell happened to you? Where's all your... Where's all your, where's the beautiful, where's the beautiful young girl? So she pulled out a couple of buckets and she said, here, here's where my beauty lies. <laughs> and she, she had the buckets that she had used to, uh, you know, <laughs> release herself of all her beauty from the drugs that she'd taken. So, Yes, our beauty is skin deep if we have any beauty at all. So similarly, when we when we leave the body, then who wants it? <clears throat> in the East, the tradition in the East, like in India, if you if you were to die in India, if you die in the day, they bury they burn you at night. That's they don't want the body around for hardly uh, long at all. In this in this culture here, well, we have different different religious traditions who, who have a different treatment of the body, dependent on the treatment of the body. 
the time involved, and then we have a whole science of embalming the body so people can keep it around for even longer and, you know, worship it and try to offer homage, which is, you know. And they put makeup on it. Yeah, dress it up in the nicest suit that was in the closet. Whatever, it's gone. We're gone. But during the time that we're in a body, we illuminate it. We bring it to life. So in that aspect, we have... And what what that illumination is, is compared to is we bring consciousness to our material being. So we'll, we're going to take off from that understanding and go into this Anacheda tonight. Because the jiva illuminates precisely in this manner, by the potency arising from its own essential nature, swasmai swayam prakash, it attributes its attributes of being uniform and of being situated in its own essential nature are consequently also exactly like a lamp. The word matra exclusively in upalabdi matram the self is exclusively of the nature of consciousness. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, 11th Canto, cited in Anucheta 22, it implies that these inherent qualities are also not separate from the jiva's own essential identity, swarup. So these qualities that we're discussing tonight are, we're uniform. In other words, the jiva itself the essence that is our very being is is the same throughout its its nature it's conscious now we can't say that about the body we inhabit but we ourselves are uniform now our consciousness is not even appears to be ununiform in in contact with the body we inhabit like the awareness that's in my foot is not the same awareness that's in my eye. So we utilize the body and the, and the different senses, the five knowledge-acquiring senses and the five working senses. We utilize they, them and they have different functions in relation to our material existence. But what's being said here, if we're, get, if we're to get beyond that, to what is actually our, our true self of selves, so to speak, then we're uniform. So that's one of the qualities of the jiva. And what's the other one cited here? That's the eighth quality. The ninth quality, being situated in its own essential nature. We are situated in our, in our essential being beingness, so to speak. That's where we're situated, truly. Now, we, of course, inhabit a body and we take on the body-mind complex so much so, we relate with it so much so, that our sense of I is transferred from what we really are, our essence, our spiritual essence, we transfer our sense of I, our ego. We have a true sense of I. This is going to be dealt with 
in the next Anucheta, our sense of I-ness, I believe it's the next one. Uh, yes. Uh, so this this particular Anucheta is dealing with five qualities, and the next Anucheta and the two after it will deal with the one quality of our I-ness. How, how do we relate with, with things? What do we think? So this Anucheta is working up to that. Jiva is going, you know, he has, a, he has something in mind here. He's, he's training us in a systematic manner as to our true nature, the true nature of our, our beingness, so to speak. So Swarup Bach is the Sanskrit terminology for the fact that we're situated in our, in our own essence, so to speak, although we apply our essence or our I-ness to something that truly isn't I. In the same way that when the body's no longer inhabitable, we want out. We, I mean, it's, it's the honest to God's truth, the time of death, the body does become so uncomfortable it becomes basically uninhabitable. Imagine a town devastated by a nuclear bomb. You, how could you survive there? There's no food in the marketplace. There's, you know, there's no air to breathe. It's not contaminated. Every every place you go in the city is is devastated and deadly. That's basically death. Our body becomes like that. It becomes foreign to our true being. And we want out. We want out so much that we leave. We take our consciousness and we go elsewhere. And we leave it. And the other, we leave it. Somebody please deal with it. You know, I'm not here to deal with it. Now, there are certain instances, and we're aware of these, so we know something of the nature of consciousness through these extraordinary circumstances where somebody just refuses to leave and they'll hang on and hang on no matter how much they're suffering in the body. And they'll hang on to such an extent that the physical mechanism of the body will actually stop, the, the functions will stop. And they'll just, they'll, be, they'll still be there. They're still around. They still hang around. And sometimes you can sense they're still hanging around. Sometimes people leave their body very quickly. The mechanism, the machine, the bodily machine is, is in some catastrophe and it's uninhabitable for the soul. The soul, it just, none of, none of the machinery works anymore. Cut off a head or make the heart stop or or whatever, it just quits working. Sometimes in those instances, so also the we, the soul, still want to stick around. So the subtle body, the mind and the intelligence and the false ego cling and they follow the body. Please let me back in. There are some indications in, in our scripture, in the in the in the Veda and I think also in other uh, religious traditions in their scriptures that 
there are certain things that lead to a ghostly existence, like a suicide, and it's uh, it's not a pleasant circumstance to be in. So we don't encourage certain activities that are prone to lead to that kind of, of an existence. Basically, we should give up the bad bargain, but it may take a few lifetimes and we're willing to, to, to work at the process, but we shouldn't try to speed the process along um, unnaturally, so to speak. Moving on. Next to be considered is the self's characteristic of being conscious, chaitana. This signifies that although the self is by its very own constitution exclusively of, of, the, exclusively of the nature of consciousness, it also wrenches, renders conscious other objects such as the body. Just as a lamp, which is of the nature of light, illuminates other objects as well as itself. This idea was expressed by means of example um, from the Srimad Bhagavatam in Prior Anucheta 19. Where the word illuminator, prakasaka, is found, which can be taken to mean that which is the cause of making an object conscious. Just as fire makes an iron rod fiery hot. So an analogy is given there. Generally an iron rod doesn't have the qualities of, of heat and illumination. But if we stick an iron rod in a fire and leave it there long enough, it can burn things and it becomes, it, it becomes an illuminator itself. You can have a firebrand, you can whip it around in the air and it's putting out light, this red light from being so hot. So similarly, although we, we inhabit a dead body, it sure appears to be alive. It sure appears to be conscious. But truly, as we just went over, it's really a dead body. You can, the soul could go from it quickly or it could go from it naturally but the body itself um, is inert, but it appears to have life. So that's the illuminating power of our very being. The jiva's characteristic of pervasiveness will be demonstrated in the statements of Prahlad in a forthcoming Anucheta. So we're going to put that off a little bit, but it's dealt with here just to, because we're talking about the characteristics of the jiva. So pervasive, we pervade our whole body. And really in some instances, our consciousness goes beyond our own body. Talk to the factory floor manager. He runs that whole factory floor. His consciousness is there throughout the workplace. Do anything in his environment if you're in his employ that's not according to his standard and he's right there on top of you. Wait, did I teach you to do it that way? No. Why are you, why are you what, sloughing off? 
Why can't you do things the way I taught you? So sometimes, in, in a lot of instances, you know, I mean, go in the kitchen when Bhakti's cooking and there's nothing in the kitchen that she's not aware of. And that's not the way I told you to cut off, cut up the vegetables. Let me show you. It's like this. And why didn't you wash your hands when you came in the kitchen? So there's some pervasiveness of her consciousness beyond even the body within that environment. Come in my office and ask me about money and, you know. I'll tell you where it is. I'll tell you where it went. <laughs> and I'll tell you how much of it I need right now to keep things going. So I, I'm somewhat aware of things beyond my body. And you come in and it's my environment. I will, I will explain all that to you. I have some here. You want to see the report? And I can push a button and here's a report. So I have some tools and my consciousness is right in there with my tools. And so... In that respect, even our consciousness can go beyond our body. We see that. So it's pervasive, according to, you know, according to even even our circumstance of dharma, what, how we work in the world. We pervade our workplace, or we pervade. Um, we extend ourselves, not only through the body, but through the environment to some extent. Some living entities, their extent is a lot larger, and some living entities, their extent is much smaller. There's demigods, controllers of universal affairs, whose extent is quite pervasive. So you have the sun god who's in charge of illuminating the universe. So the extent of his conscious responsibilities and his area of influence is quite quite pervasive the term vyapti silatva means that the self's nature is to pervade the interior of all unconscious phenomena in a highly subtle matter manner moving on Another reason why the self is not merely of the nature of consciousness is that it is intrinsically of the nature of consciousness and bliss. Chid Anandatmaka, quality number 12. Because the self is not inert, being of its, because of its being the counterposition, um, I'm sorry, Positive of inertness, where the soul, the self, we're the exact opposite of being inert. We're not matter. We're, we're directly the opposite of that. It is of the nature of consciousness. And because of its being the counter-positive of misery, it is of the nature of consciousness and bliss. That the self is of the nature of consciousness has already been illustrated that the self is also of the nature of bliss anandatva is established by Sri Sukha by pointing out that it is the object of unadulterated love then Jiva Goswami quotes a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam as evidence of the point that our very self is 
the object of love. Therefore, all embodied beings consider their own self to be the supremely dear. The whole of this creation, moving and stationary, is loved for the sake of the self alone. And this verse is taken from the 10th canto, the 14th chapter. The 14th chapter of the 10th canto deals with the Brahma Vimohan Leela. So now, and here Jiva ends this Anucheta with a simple statement. The meaning is self-evident. So what's the meaning that Jiva's saying is self-evident? That's covered somewhat in the commentary. So we'll go through a few of the points made there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'm going to jump a little ahead to the Ananda feature. And we're going to talk about the source of this verse that Jiva quotes as the evidence for the fact that we truly love ourself more than anything else. In the Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter, Krishna states that the senses are superior to the gross body. And superior to the senses is the mind. The mind is superior to the senses. And the intellect is superior to the mind. But greater even than the intellect is the Atma. So greater even than our intellect is our essence, the Atma, our self. Carrying this sequence a step further, Paramatma is superior to the Atma. The Paramatma is, is even more greater than the individual Atma because, well, it's... It's the whole of all Atma, so to speak, Paramatma. But it also, Paramatma also has his distinct characteristics, many of which we have, but a few of which are beyond our capacity. And let's look back to the simple analogy of a drop in the ocean, a drop of water in the entire ocean of water. They're of the same quality, but the ocean can accommodate a lot more. So the essence, the saltiness, the liquidity, those aspects of a drop of water and the whole ocean are, are, are the same. But a drop of water doesn't have waves. A drop of water can't support all the aquatics that are there in the ocean. A drop of water isn't fathoms deep. So although there's the quality is the same between the drop and the whole ocean, there's some real differences there. So in that regard, if we we're to look to the relationship between the Atma and the Paramatma, the Paramatma 
has a lot more to offer. So when we talk about Ananda, the true essence of pleasure, there's some pleasure, there's a little bit of liquidity in a drop of water, but it's not going to cool you on a hot day the way the ocean is. There's a little bit of salt in a drop of water, but you can't evaporate the liquid part of the water and get enough salt to 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 spice up your vegetables so that you could eat them. So in a, in a natural sequence of thinking of this, logically, we can see that the supreme whole, the absolute total personality of Godhead, he, he's really the most lovable object. So this verse that Jiva Goswami quoted as evidence in this regard from the 14th chapter of the 10th canto can be seen in context. And the context was quite interesting. The Lord himself manifested in the material universe some 5,000 years ago and he displayed himself as a simple cowherd boy in a village. And of course, being a cowherd boy amongst cowherd men, and, and he was he wanted himself to take care of cows. So he was he and all his friends in the beginning, when they were really small, were giving calves to take care of. So they go off just like their fathers, and the fathers would have the cows to go out and to put into pasture, and then to to herd up and bring back for milking. And the the young boys would go out and they'd take care of the calves. And they put bells around all the calves' necks so that they'd know where they were and they wouldn't lose any. And they, they went out and they were boys. As young boys, they also played games and did other things while they were calf herding. <laughs> so they went out one day and the creator of the entire universe was aware that the Supreme Lord had ma had manifest himself within the earthly planet and he wanted to check it out so he left his celestial abode and he flew down on his swan carrier and he he observed this young supreme personality of godhead who manifested himself as a cowherd boy growing up in a simple cowherd village now he'd already met krishna before way back at the beginning of the creation of the universe, he went into meditation, into samadhi, and he actually had an audience with the Supreme Lord in that very same form. But it was a more formal setting. So when he saw the Lord in this setting, in a simple, you know, uh, pastoral setting on the earth, he wasn't really sure it was the same God, although he knew philosophically that the Lord was going to advent on earth and these, you know, being the, being the creator, he had some awareness of what was, was happening in his creation. So he knew he had manifest, but when he saw this young boy, Krishna, 
he wasn't really sure is that the same Krishna I saw at the beginning of the creation who manifest you know manifested himself to me let me make sure it is so um, at that particular time when he came Krishna and his his boyfriends and were were taking lunch so they all sat sat around and they were they were eating from their lunch boxes and pails and tasting each other's food and the like and uh, and all of a sudden they couldn't hear those little bells that they put around the necks of the calves they didn't hear them making noise anymore and they became concerned and they were ready to give up eating lunch and go and find out what had happened where's the calves I mean they're responsible for them even as young boys they had a sense of responsibility Krishna said no 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 you go ahead you go ahead you continue to eat I'll go look for the calves so Krishna went himself by himself and he went to look for the calves this is the Supreme Lord himself playing as a young boy so he was he was he honestly went and looked for the calves he couldn't find them this is God playing like a human being and you know he didn't know where they were he went back to tell his friends I don't know where the calves went maybe he was going to back please I need your help but he went back and all the coward boys were gone well even though you can put the Supreme Lord he can manifest a young body like that you know and he can he can even forget the fact that he's God in order to engage in his play to some extent he's still God so he, he, he thought for a minute and he realized this is a trick and it's by Brahma the creator of the universe so he thinks he's he's pulling a trick on me okay we'll see how that goes <laughs> and he immediately manifested himself as all the cowherd friends and all the calves uniquely and this is very important for a true entrance into an understanding of this display of the Lord's potency and how he's the self of all selves he immediately manifested not only their forms not only the exact clothing they were wearing not only the exact scent that was in their hair so their parents wouldn't think that they'd lost their child everything down to them everything about those personalities the Supreme Lord became because in essence the Lord is truly we are an expansion of of his very self again but he's the ocean and we're a drop so the qualities are there but there's different potencies that he has that we'll never have and that's okay but he'll try to give you always potencies because that's another story uh, <laughs> and another Leela but let, let's look at this Leela so he became in truth fully all the calves and cowherd boys 
And this went on for a year, an earthly year. Brahma, the creator of the universe, lives in a different time dimension than we do. So his moment is our year. A moment of his time is a year of our time. So Brahma did this. He didn't want to disrupt anything because maybe that really is God, he was thinking. So he was kind of a little apprehensive of what he did. I'm sure right after he did it, it was like, Ooh, I better go check on this. I, you know, And he came back a moment later. But his time dimension is different. Here, a whole year had transpired. Now, interesting, interesting enough, after that year had transpired, on the particular, the particular moment that Brahma came back, Balaram was observing, and he was also out with the cowherds. Balaram wasn't there when, when, when the initial thing happened, but Balaram was with him that day. So Balaram was observing what was going on, and there was a strange occurrence that, that happened that day. The older cowherd men were up on a higher plateau on a hill, on a hill and they were, they were taking care of the cows. And the young boys were down in a valley. And the cows, which Krishna also became the calves, remember he became the cows and the cow, calves and the cowherd boys. The cows observed these calves down in the valley and they immediately ran down the hill and started to suckle these calves. And this perturbed the cowherd men because, come on, what's going on here? They're, they're supposed to be in charge of the cows. How's it looking? Here's their sons down below taking care of the calves, and they can't even, they can't even keep the cows in line. You know, so they're feeling a little bit perturbed. So they, they're, they're coming down the hill trying to get the cows back, and they're noticing that the cows are suckling the calves. And Balaram's sitting there, and he's watching all this. And it's just he's trying to think, what's going on here? And then he notices that the men become overtaken by a same sense of love for the boys, their sons. And they immediately forget their responsibilities with the cows and go and pick up their sons and start smelling their hair and embracing them, expressing, you know, fatherly affection to all the sons. And Balaram, Krishna's brother, is saying, this is not ordinary. This is not ordinary at all because, I mean, first of all, these calves are a second generation of calves. The cows already have calves that they're suckling. Now they're going out and they're suckling these calves, which are older calves. They don't do that normally. And he became aware of the fact he's also God he became aware of the fact that Krishna has truly expanded himself. And this is the, the Leela in the Bhagavatam from, which, from where this verse comes. And the essence of the verse and the essence of the Leela is made, us, made to bring us to an understanding that the true self of our self 
which is the source of the ananda, the joy of our true being, is Paramatma, or in the instance of the Leela, Krishna himself. There's a distinction between Paramatma feature in relationship to material energy and, and Krishna in the transcendental realm, but they're still the same supreme personality of Godhead. So that's the point that's being made here. Brahma came and he apologized because he saw that his his little ability to to hide the calves and cows away in a cave for a moment of his time didn't affect Krishna at all. So he realized, well, he realized it in this way. And he said at the time, he said, there may be many people that say that they know about Krishna and all of his opulences. But from my viewpoint, I know nothing. I know nothing. I, I cannot even begin to comprehend the potencies of the Supreme Lord. So I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Yes, ma'am. So you said at one point that we are already expansions of Krishna. So why did it make a difference? Why did that whole pastime be able to happen if he again expanded himself even though he looked like the cow, he made a duplicate cowherd boy from himself. My understanding of was that you were already saying, like, he's already, he's already done that with us. Yes. So why would... Because there's more to love in the essence of our essence than in, and in our very self. Just as there's more to be had in an ocean than in a drop, there's more ananda or blissfulness to be had in association with the Supreme Lord than even in association with our very self. Thus, we come back to the understanding of, of Sukadev Goswami, the speaker of the Bhagavatam. He was an Atmarama. He was completely self-satisfied. He was in complete, complete union with the essence of his being. He was a Brahmavadi. He knew he had himself. He knew he knew all the pleasures of being free of a false material existence and residing in, in his in his true nature, in his self. But when he heard the verses from the Bhagavatam and heard about that greater self of all selves, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, he saw that there was more ananda to be had. Therefore, he studied the Srimad Bhagavatam to learn the essence of joyfulness. The essence of our true joyfulness of being is with the greater self. Does that... So we are just the drop, and when he became the duplicate cow, was that what he was... Him? That, that was, was him. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.